Hello and welcome. You're listening to Outstanding in Their Field, an agriculture literacy discussion. This podcast is hosted by me, Will Fett, from the Iowa Agriculture Literacy Foundation, and by Katie Carpenter of New York Agriculture in the Classroom. Throughout this season, we'll be joined by friends of Agriculture in the Classroom from across the country as we explore how agriculture meets some of our most basic needs of food, fiber, and fuel. We'll hear from educators who are creatively teaching and inspiring their students in food and agriculture. And we'll hear from industry experts showing the technology and science of modern agriculture and food production. Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of Outstanding in Their Field, where we will be discussing all things agriculture literacy related. In today's episode, we're with Amanda and Ryan Baer, who have an interesting business that's tied to corn. So Amanda, can you start us off and tell us a little bit about your um, educational background and professional training? Well, I grew up in Iowa, in a small town in central Iowa, and went to Iowa State. I have a degree in mechanical engineering. Uh, So I really didn't have a lot of agricultural background until I met my husband, who grew up on a farm. But I did grow up in Iowa. After I graduated from Iowa State, we moved to Texas. I worked in the aerospace industry and the oil industry. My, My knowledge comes from family farms and that sort of thing as far as the agricultural background. Perfect. And Ryan, you're also a mechanical engineer, correct? I am. I am. Yeah, we met in college. And uh, of course, Amanda and I were down in Texas together for eight years. Uh, We spent eight years in the St. Louis area. And then we moved back here in 2011. And uh, yeah, it was actually corn ethanol that brought us back. Perfect. And you did grow up on a farm. Can you give us a little bit of a sense of your background growing up on a farm? Sure. Yeah. So we live in Spencer here, and uh, the farm that I grew up on is about 20 miles east of here between Ruthven and Emmitsburg. Um, My dad uh, taught school, and then uh, he farmed about 500 acres. Um, Our century farm actually is over in Kasuth County, and that's the farm that my my mom grew up. But I think we're at 138 years on on that farm. So you mentioned a century farm, um, and tell us what exactly that is. Well, it's a farm that's been in the same family for uh, 100 plus years. Uh, heritage farm, that's another term you'll hear for uh, once once you hit 150. That's outstanding. And uh, that lends itself nicely to the name of your business, which is what exactly? Uh, Century Farms Distillery. And a bit of a passion project for you? You know, it really was. And uh, what's what's kind of funny about this now, you know, Amanda and I both being engineers, uh, you know, and with me having moved back here for the, for the ethanol is that's essentially where I learned how to, how to turn corn into alcohol. And so, uh, that did become a bit of a passion of mine. And, you know, after I was done working in the ethanol plant, I essentially, we worked on a recipe, worked on a, a, you know, equipment design. And, uh, that was, this is a, a hobby that's turned into something on steroids. So, and Century Farm Distillery, you are specifically doing um, whiskey or other grain spirits? We are. We're doing whiskey and vodka, uh, two main products. And uh, as far as the labels go, we have two whiskey brands. One is uh, Prairie States Whiskey. The other is Century Farms Whiskey, whereas the Century Farms is made exclusively with corn that was grown on a farm that's been in the family for 100 plus years. Prairie States is a brand that we reserve for you know essentially non-Century Farms. But 
The way we market the product is we put the farmer's name and then the state and county where the corn was growing on the side of each bottle. And what part of what I wanted to create with that was a tangible consumer product that's made with Iowa corn, uh, where people, you know, particularly outside the state of Iowa, can uh, look at that product and have some concept, some understanding of what we do up here in Iowa. You know, and honestly, part of the idea from that came from us having lived in other states, having seen, you know, how little, how little knowledge and how little appreciation there is for what we do here in the in the, the state of Iowa. Yeah, it's so neat to uh, call attention to that history of agricultural production here in Iowa and specifically corn production. A lot of people don't realize that you really can use almost any grain for alcohol production or it really any fruit or, or veg for alcohol production. But tell us about corn. Why is corn good for alcohol production? What's interesting about corn, and we produce or, or can produce an astonishing amount of, of alcohol from 40 to 50 bushels of corn. So we typically ask uh, farmers to bring us 40 or 50 bushels of corn. That's the amount that fits nicely in a pro box where you can transport it in the bed of a pickup truck to, to get it to Spencer, Iowa. But 40 to 50 bushels of corn, uh, we can get, you know, 1,000, 1,200 bottles of whiskey out of that, which is just really a staggering amount when you think about, you know, the 150 or so dollars worth of corn that can produce up to, you know, 1,200 bottles of whiskey. With that, you know, we typically age it on oak. Of course, our Century Farms product is, is aged in uh, charred and uncharred oak barrels. And about 30% of it evaporates or soaks into the wood or, you know, goes go somewhere. But I, I tell folks we end up with about 750 bottles of uh, whiskey by the time we're, we're done processing their, their corn. You had uh, mentioned ethanol. So ethanol is also an alcohol product from corn, but not for human consumption. Typically, we think about uh, ethanol in our gasoline mixtures. Give us a sense of what is the difference of the process between making a, a fuel-based ethanol and then a spirit or a, a food-grade ethanol uh, that you would use in whiskey? Yeah, no, that's a great Great question. I'm glad you asked because, of course, I want to make sure that nobody has the impression that our whiskey tastes like gasoline. In fact, it's, it's quite the opposite. I'm proud to say that we have an all-copper still, and uh, the product that we produce because of that copper still is exceptionally smooth, exceptionally mild. In fact, you know, we've tried to tailor our product to meet the local flavor palette where people in Iowa who have a, a taste for Canadian whiskeys, uh, we've tried to, you know, steer our, ourselves in that, that direction for the smoothness and mildness of the, the flavor. But of course, ethanol is optimized 100% towards gross production of the alcohol. And of course, you know, when we ferment and produce our product, it's prioritized towards the, the flavor profile. So, one of the biggest things that we do, uh, I would say, is control the temperature of the process during fermentation, and that has a huge effect on the, uh, the finished product. So ethanol plants, of course, they're going to uh, control their, their fermentation temperatures around you know, production, and we control ours around flavor. Absolutely. So Ryan, you were describing how you actually make the alcohol. And my understanding is that you uh, grind the corn up, you turn it into a mash, enzymes will break apart those starches in the corn, and then you're actually fermenting the sugars to make the alcohol. Describe how the industrial ethanol process looks and how your um, more specialized process looks. Sure. No, I appreciate the question. For us, the, the manufacturing process, and this is one of the very fun things about whiskey, wine can be like this three-month ordeal. 
Uh, for us, a, a batch of whiskey, really it's about seven days from the day we grind the corn uh, to the day we actually distill it into white, unaged whiskey that comes off the still. So in comparison with other beverage products, whiskey is just a flash to make. So typically where uh, everything you described as far as you know grinding it, mashing it, which is all about converting starch into sugar, uh, is exactly the same process that we use in the in the distillery. The, the difference is that uh, we end up using a little bit of barley malt. Uh, and that's one of those terms you hear when you visit a brewery or visit a distillery is malted this or malted that. But one of the enzymes that we use comes from the malted barley. Uh, it's a beta amylase. And uh, essentially, some of those seeds like uh, barley and rye that you can put in the ground that germinate after, you know, four or five days, they have a lot of enzyme in them compared to corn that might take, you know, a couple of weeks to, to come out of the ground. So we had the malted barley to help, you know, really with the, the conversion process, but also to, to add a little bit of complexity to the flavor. Probably the main difference comes from uh, the amount of alcohol that, that we produce per batch. So commercial ethanol plant, 16, 17, 18 percent alcohol by volume when they're finished with their, their fermentation after about three days. Uh, whereas we'll be, you know, probably more like eight to 10 percent. And a lot of that comes from the lower alcohol concentration for us. We favor because it doesn't put as much stress on the on the yeast, and that ends up with a little bit more flavorful product. That's really interesting to to think about how uh, yeast is and temperature and time is all going to affect the the quality of the end product. Ryan, you said you you kind of got your start in making alcohol in industrial ethanol plants, and then you also mentioned you have spent some time in the oil fields in Texas. What does the renewable fuel industry looks like as compared to the large uh, energy producers of uh, the oil fields? Sure, sure. In particular, the way ethanol is used, uh, the ethanol that we produce in Iowa, practically speaking, the majority of the, the corn crop grown in the state does go through ethanol plants. And of course, we recover the, the distillers grains there and, and use that as, as animal feed. But, you know, functionally, the, the majority of the corn grown in Iowa does go into ethanol. That product is, is typically sold to oil companies, particularly terminals where it's blended with gasoline and uh, eventually makes its way to the pump where the consumer can buy it. So with respect to that, I know that there's renewable energy credits that are a big part of the, the ethanol industry, and that's something that the oil companies work with the, the ethanol producers on. One thing I will bring up, you, you mentioned renewable energy. We're in Spencer, Iowa, and Spencer is fortunate to have some of the lowest price electric rates in the state of Iowa. Uh, in fact, some of the lowest rates in the in the nation. And we actually run our still on electricity part for that reason. So a significant part of our, our energy that we use for making our product does come from renewable energy as well. And of course, that's another famous export for Iowa is, is wind power. That's awesome to think about the uh, sustainability aspect that uh, goes into making your product as well. Now, you mentioned a couple of different things. You mentioned uh, distillers dried grains. So when we're making ethanol, whether it's uh, industrial ethanol or spirits for human consumption, we're using the starches, but everything else from that corn kernel is cut left over and can be put into animal feed, right? That's right. No, that's a, that's a valuable co-product and, and uh, an important part about how we grow livestock now. Excellent. Amanda, can I jump over to you and ask, uh, how have the consumers received the product and what has kind of been the response from people who've become aware of your business? Well, we've had amazing support from the local community and 
around us. Very, very well received as far as both of our products and our business in general. We have the distiller in the back, of course, which is the big industrial side. And the front part of our operation is what we call a tasting room. We started with just samples. Now we have a full menu of cocktails that we're able to offer, similar to a bar. People come in to have tours, samples, cocktails, just been really, really great support. One of the unique things about the state of Iowa is that we are what's called a control state, meaning our distributor is the state of Iowa. So the state of Iowa used to have liquor stores. They don't no longer have those liquor stores, but they still control the distribution of all the spirits in Iowa. And the, the upside of that about that is that any liquor store in the state of Iowa can order our product. So we've had products all over the state uh, from liquor stores that support small businesses in Iowa. Maybe someone visited us and wanted to have our products at their local liquor store. So that's really kind of a, a neat thing that the state does in support of small business like ours and, and helping us get our product, not just locally to the people in Spencer or, or you know within a 50 mile radius, but really throughout the whole state. That's very cool. Can you give us an idea? What is your current role responsibility? What does a typical day look like for you? Well, I guess that depends a lot if we're mashing or not. Right now we're doing some construction or finishing up a construction of a new build, storage building in the back. So we're very excited to get that kind of finalized and uh, or finished up, I guess. Um, we have outgrown our space, which is a wonderful problem to have. And so a lot of my daily work right now does just kind of keeping the day-to-day business going. I also do all of the requirements for labeling with federal government. There are a lot of regulations, as you might imagine, around distilled spirits, both with state and federal. So I interact a lot with the state just to make sure we have our products where they need to be, to make sure our products are approved. If we want to have a new product, there are multiple layers of things to go through. And then I do the uh, tasting room as well, the bar area. So we're open Wednesdays through Saturdays for the bar. So I manage that and we have a great staff here as well that helps me with that front end stuff. Very good. You have such an interesting business that kind of threads that needle of an industry that has an immense history with hundreds of years of craft work behind it, but then also that has applied so much modern technology and science that can you give us a sense of what that history is of uh, spirits production? You know, I think one of the things that's fascinating about the history of whiskey making is that that was actually our first tax in the United States. In fact, there was a whiskey rebellion. I think Alexander Hamilton was the first first one to levy the tax. And of course, part of the, the history of that was you had farmers in Appalachia that were growing corn, but weren't able to get their corn to market except by fermenting and distilling it into whiskey, which made it much more compact where they could put it on the back of a mule, walk it over the mountains, and then sell it into the cities. It's really fascinating the history we've come come with uh, you know, along the way. But I will say what's, what's funny is that the first batch of whiskey that we ever made was probably very similar to the recipe that you know, was used to make the ethanol and the ethanol plant. And you know, we, about 70 or 80 batches later, we finally uh, perfected uh, the exact flavor profile that we wanted from, from our product. So no, it's, it's been, a, been a labor of love and, and just you know, utterly fascinating. 
Yes, technology uh, is very different as far as, you know, Ryan mentioned our mashing and that sort of thing. I mean, we have controls to keep our mash at the right temperature. We can monitor things with very, you know, highly accurate thermometers and other things, you know, that we use just to make sure that things are as we want. Whereas it used to be just by the master distiller knowing what to do. That is something that's still important. As we say, you know, we do have some trade secrets here as far as things that only Ryan knows, and that is true, as far as how he does certain things in the mash and certain ways that, that things are produced, because there is an art to it as well as a science. Very good. Switching gears a little bit, we're probably not going to have teachers engaging in uh, teaching about whiskey production in the classroom, but there are so many similarities and overlaps between the renewable fuels industry and the production of ethanol using Iowa corn. Can you give us a sense of why you think it's important for teachers to be teaching their students about agriculture? Oh, absolutely. You can approach it from the angle of history. You can approach it from the angle of the technology. I will say that if anyone ever wants to see what mechanical engineers do for a living, if you're you know struggling to understand what that is, come visit the distillery. We do offer free tours to the public, and it's a great collection of you know pipes and pumps and equipment and everything else, and just the machinery that goes into into making all of this stuff is is fun. And I'd, I'd point out that one of the fun things about our distillery is uh, Amanda and I being engineers. Part of the fun for us was to design and build all the equipment that we we have in the distillery. So we didn't didn't go out and buy commercial equipment. We basically designed and built you know most most of our own. But in particular for teachers who want to teach the the process of, of this, it's really about the basic science and the hands-on chemistry of this. And this is actually how I've trained our distillers uh, or employees that have, have worked for us in the in the distillery is we will start by making a five-gallon batch of this literally on a camp stove where a person can see how the mashing process works, how corn is converted from starch into sugar. And, and these are all uh, demonstrable things that you know, somebody could do in a high school chemistry class or even you know, with, the, with a much younger, younger audience as well. One of our activities that we do with students is ethanol in a bag, and it's really just a simple activity where you put some uh, sugar with a little bit of water and a little bit of yeast. And in the short span of a class period, you can see the reactions starting to take place. And and it's always fun when that uh, little Ziploc bag explodes by the end of the classroom from the buildup of carbon dioxide. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So great ways of uh, bringing these concepts in into the classroom. I always try to ask this question of our guests. Ryan, we'll start off with you. What for you is the best part of your job? Oh, gosh. It's rewarding to see something actually manufactured turned into a product. And so starting with the raw material, ending up with the finished product, and honestly having people come in and tell us that they love it is just, that's tremendously rewarding. Um, I think probably the, the other thing is that, you know, just watching the look on people's faces when they realize that this is actually what, what you do with, you know, number two yellow corn grown in a cornfield in Iowa. I'm continually amazed at how many people don't even realize that the corn, you know, the, the basic product that we grow in Iowa is literally the basic feedstock for making bourbon, American whiskey, everything like that, which, which is a fun use of it. I mean, let's face it. That's, that's great. Amanda, how about you? What's the best part of your job? I think the best part for me is interacting with our clients that do our custom whiskey and meeting uh, people who are so 
proud of their family, the Century Farms, and just, you know, how their families have survived for generations. And they have this ability to turn this corn uh, from this farm into something that's unique and meaningful and shareable and it has a great story and people are just so excited to share that story with everyone and use our whiskey as a platform for that so if you go to our website on our corn to whiskey page it has a link to every farm that we have produced corn from and you can see stories from those farmers uh, those families, their history, and you know, it's just it's really great to to read and to learn and to meet uh, all these people that have worked the land for so many years and are still so proud of of what that means for their family. Thank you to Amanda and Ryan Baer, who run Century Farms Distillery in Spencer, Iowa. They are an excellent example of how you take a Iowa product like corn and turn it into a value add uh, spirit and product for consumers. With us today are two incredible teachers doing uh, lessons on corn and teaching their students all about how corn goes from a raw ingredient in the field to a finished product that can be used to power your car, ethanol. With me today is Lene Bristow and Will Foley, teachers from Southwest Valley Elementary in Corning, Iowa. Lene, Will, thanks for joining. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. So just to give us a little background, uh, Lene, let's start with you. Can you tell us what is your educational background, your professional training? Um, so I graduated from Buena Vista University with my education degree for elementary education. Perfect. And, and Will, I'm assuming you had a similar preparation? Yeah, I graduated from Luther College with an elementary education major. All right. And you two have a kind of an interesting uh, team partnership where, Lene, you're a fourth grade teacher, and then, Will, you receive the, the students the next year in fifth grade. Tell us about how you two kind of plan and uh, work together in giving those students a much richer multi-year experience. So I think the wonderful thing about us working back-to-back grades is that we're constantly in conversation about what's going well for our students, what they're picking up on, what we've actually been able to cover and be successful in so that maybe if it didn't stick really well in fourth grade, he knows, okay, I need to reinforce that in fifth grade or, okay, they get that so I can push them even farther. That's a, that's a perfect partnership. So your partnership is so interesting and unique. As we all know, the school year does not go throughout the summer months, but your project specifically does straddle the summer months. Lene, can we start with you and talk about what you do with your fourth grade students regarding corn in the spring of the year? Yeah, absolutely. So Poet comes in and kind of explains what we're going to be doing and shows the kids videos of past years that have experienced the same thing. And then we get to take a trip out to Poet to plant the corn, and each student gets to plant a row of corn. And then over the summer, they get pamphlets and little items pertaining to what's going on with their corn. So the pamphlet may say, 
oh, it's been a dry few weeks, so it's struggling, and then send them a rain gauge to see how much rain is coming in the next week. So it keeps them engaged all summer long in not only science, but specifically agriculture. And who or what is POET? Uh, POET is a plant here in Corning that changes corn into ethanol. A pretty well-known ethanol refinery system has multiple locations, but it sounds like they do really cool things with education there in your community. Do you have any concept of why they chose to become involved in your classes and why this project kind of started? Yeah, I think they wanted to just educate the kids about what's going on in their own community and environment and hopefully get them excited and interested in doing that one day in the future as well. So, Lene, you mentioned uh, that the activities relate back to science and some other subjects in your class, but how are you connecting it maybe to some of those core educational standards that you're required to teach? So we have standards in each subject area, and specifically this works with our science standard because that's all about like learning through experiments, engaging in engineering opportunities figuring out how to solve problems in unique ways. And so that is a great experience that they get from this system as well. That is so cool. Can you give us an idea of what those problems are that the students are trying to solve? So for instance, it could be something like I said earlier, where it's been a dry week and maybe you have only a specific amount of water in a specific amount of time or machinery to spread the water over the crops. So they would have to figure out how to make that work under the parameters they're given. And then obviously throughout the summer months, the students are out of school. How do they kind of keep tabs on their row of corn that's growing out in the field? What are they looking for and how do you keep the kids active and engaged? So that would be the pamphlet that they get. So they get updates once a month from the workers at POET describing what's going on with their corn, if they've been given anything extra to each row, or if it's doing well, or how things are going. They get that once a month in the summer. And that goes direct to their homes? Yep, it gets mailed to their house. So cool. And because it's the plant is right there in Corning and close, I can imagine that students might convince their parents to drive by the field and take a look at their row of corn. Does that ever happen? Yes, they definitely like to take their own trips out there to see how it's going and which row is doing the best. It almost kind of is a little competition. I bet that's a lot of fun for the students. So corn grows all summer long, and specifically this is field corn, the kind that produces extra starch that can be converted into ethanol. But then fall rolls around. Will, can you tell us where do you kind of pick up the project with the students? So in about October, Paul reaches out to us and says that it's time for us to have our fall party where they come out and they harvest the corn. So we set a date towards like the mid to late October just to give the corn maximum time to grow and be ready for them to harvest. So then we go out to Poet and that's when we start our harvesting. And before we harvest, they have like some of the Poet people come and say, this is how your crop did the past couple of years. They tell us like, oh, we had a big windstorm come through that knocked down half the crop. And then other times they say, oh, this crop got some animals or deer in it too that got a little hungry over the summer so they kind of fill us in on a little bit more detail on how the corn did over the summer so then the kids do their harvesting and then they end up going through a lot more processes like with the payment side and 
a tailor of my life. So this becomes real world. I mean, they, these are real things that happen that farmers deal with. How do the kids react when a windstorm knocks down half their crop? They're actually kind of shocked. I know the past few years I went like some crops towards the west end of the field have did really well and like were like full and had a lot of ears of corn on it. And then the ones towards the east end up being bare or like the corn stalks aren't even there. So they're kind of shocked to see a difference between, oh, this side did really well versus that side. And a little bit of a wake up call, I imagine, for some of those students, but important for them to understand the struggles that farmers face on a yearly basis. And there's not a whole lot that you can do about wind damage or deer or some of those other natural elements. So, Will, tell us a little bit more than how do you connect the activities to some of the core educational standards that you have to be responsible for? Fourth grade, we have those STEM experiments where they have to figure out the problems and do experiments on how to solve those. And we also can connect it to our social studies standards because we have financial literacy as ours. So this is a great opportunity to show like how people are earning money, how they get their wages, and how even farmers can provide for their family. So we can go cross curricular with that. And then we also can talk about taxes with like, oh, how much does come out of this if we have to and that stuff. So you probably start with the very basics of even how much is a bushel of corn and how much do you can you sell that bushel of corn for, right? Correct. So when we go to Poet, they do tell us like corn at this point is worth three seventy five or whatever it is that day. And then all the students will earn that as they harvest their corn. And most people don't even really have a concept of what a bushel of corn is, volume or size. It is largely a weight measurement. But to kind of wrap your mind around it, we usually talk about how a bushel is roughly the size of a small laundry basket. And then how many bushels per acre. In Iowa, you can easily get upwards of 200 bushels per acre, but the averages might not be quite that high. So then you really start to think about all of the math concepts and the financial literacy concepts that can be applied here. I think that's such great information for students. Tell us a little bit more about those financial literacy pieces that you are trying to instill in your students. So we try to instill like savings and spending. So this year we talked about how can people earn money? And then they need to think about where they're spending that money. And so this year we did experiments where they planned like they wanted to buy the newest video game. So this month they had to earn this much money. Next month they earned this much money, but then they have to pay taxes or pay bills with that or go out to eat. So this project just helps instill the fact that there is multiple ways to earn money because some kids think of, oh, they have to go into work like a business to get the money. And now we're showing them that actually you can be a farmer and earn money just by selling your corn. And that's so true. So the students are harvesting their corn and they're turning around and selling it to the Poet Biorefinery to produce ethanol. So they're taking that ear of corn, they're getting the kernels off of it, they're breaking those kernels down into the simplest elements of starch and breaking that starch into sugars that can be turned into ethanol. How much of that process is Poet able to share with the students? So they show us like all the different 
byproducts that you get with corn. So they show us the leftover stuff that they can feed to their livestock. They show us, I think they call it like beer. And then they show us what ethanol looks like and they show the differences between all of that. So you make a great point. It's not just ethanol that we're getting out of it. It's the dried distiller's grain, uh, the DDGs that can be fed to livestock. So we're not wasting any of the corn. Once we take the starches and make ethanol, we're also using the the hulls and the protein and the oils and and uh, turning around and adding that back into uh, cattle and pig feed. So uh, really, it's kind of a sustainable system and there is value throughout that entire system. Do you get into the chemistry or the final use of the ethanol product with your students? Poet shows us how ethanol burns differently than regular gasoline so they can show that it's a lot cleaner and a lot safer for the environment. But we really don't go too much into the chemical side. Tell us more about that compare and contrast between burning ethanol and burning fossil fuels. So when we were at Poet, they take us into their conference room area and they show us the video of this guy who has a beaker of gas and a beaker of ethanol. He burns both of them, and you can see the gasoline burning, and you see black smoke coming out of the beaker as it burns. But then when you look at the ethanol and he's burning that one, you can barely see the flame. He has to actually turn the lights out for us to even see the flame of the ethanol. And then when both are done burning, you look at the beakers, and you can see nothing on the ethanol beaker, but the gasoline beaker is completely black and looks like it's been burned. What a great visual for students, for the science nerds who might be listening. That is largely because of ethanol burning at a higher temperature and not creating as many carbon particulates that it's releasing, whereas gasoline will have a lot of soot or or carbon particulates that it leaves behind. And so it's a very quick visual way of seeing how ethanol does burn uh, quote-unquote cleaner, largely releasing the same amount of carbon into the atmosphere. But the big difference is that that ethanol is coming from a renewable source of corn. So a uh, very, very cool visual thing to think about. And I imagine it would be something that kind of sticks in the minds of your students. It sounds like you've got a great relationship with Poet and a lot of community support there. But, Will, why do you think it's important for your students to learn about and and understand agriculture? Because that's their background. Because, like, a lot of our kids are farming kids because we're a farming community. A lot of our kids live on the farm. So they have the experience of seeing their parents go out and work the fields or they help their parents farm it. But I don't know how many of them actually have the experience of going to Poet with their parents to see what the outcome is. They might hear about it at home, but I don't know how much they actually get to see. So this is their like big chance to see where the corn goes and what the outcome is of that corn being sold. And Poet is great about opening their doors and allowing visitors, but you still have to be safe about it. So most farmers don't tour it. They might drop off their grain when they sell it, but most of them don't have to, a chance to do that. So the students might be might have a one-up experience on their parents where they actually get to see the inside and how the whole process works. Lene, can I jump back to you and kind of ask the same question? Why do you think it's important for your students to be understanding and learning about agriculture? 
You know, agriculture is so prevalent in our lives, but I think a lot of times students don't make the connection to where things are coming from and how it really affects them. And so going to Poet makes it right there something tangible that they can see, wow, this is making a big impact not only in our community, but also in other communities around us. And have you seen it spark any interest in students to potentially pursue additional study or even future career opportunities in ethanol, in biochemistry, in agriculture in general? Have you seen anything like that? Absolutely. When we go there and plant the corn and hear about the process, the kids are very interested. They think that it's so amazing that that's happening like down the road from them. They get really excited about that. And then they ask questions about, well, what other opportunities are there in agriculture for me? How else can I be involved in something that's so special? That's very cool. Not everybody has a biorefinery in their backyard like you do, but uh, we all have agribusinesses in our local communities. Can you give us a sense of what the time commitment is and why you would choose to take time out of your class period to incorporate something like this? It's such a hands-on experience. It's right there for them. And it's something that is really a privilege because like you said, not everyone has one in their backyard. So because we have that, why not take advantage? Why not be involved and give them that wonderful opportunity? I'm curious, have you seen the incorporation of this activity help advance either your curricular goals or help students succeed in their own educational journey? I think when they realize that in other, like in businesses or other aspects outside of school, that there are problems that you have to figure out ways to solve and everything doesn't just necessarily fall into place, um, it makes them understand better that you know, we have to be problem solvers and we have to work through these things and find a way to make different situations successful. And so then when we come back in class and there's a hard problem, I say, okay, think about when we were at Poet, everything doesn't happen perfectly, you know? So you have to figure out how to change things and so that they work for you in the situation at hand. That's so true. Those life lessons, so to speak. Have you noticed any changes in your classroom, either behavioral or student motivation or anything like that, when you involve projects like this and involve agriculture topics? Yeah, students love being able to get their hands on things and do those science experiments and have situations presented to them that grownups deal with too, you know, that makes it more important or at least seem more important. So when those things come up, they are really working hard to figure that out and embracing that because, you know, it's not just filling out a worksheet, which are things that are important too, but it's something that they can use in other situations or outside of school too. That's very cool. I understand that you've been doing this for a couple of years now, and and it sounds like you've got that great partnership with Poet, but why do you choose to do this? Why do you choose to continue to do this activity? And maybe what is your favorite aspect of it? Oh man, there's so many great aspects. So that's hard. I would say I continue, we continue both of us to do it because the kids enjoy it and it's a really great learning experience. Uh, My favorite aspect probably has to be 
the actual being at Poet and planting the corn. Because I don't get to see their reactions over the summer when they get the pamphlets, but I get to be there when they're down on their hands and knees, shoving the kernels into the ground, grinning from ear to ear and enjoying it so much. So that definitely is my favorite part. And what kid doesn't love to get their hands dirty? So I bet that would be a lot of fun for them. Will, same question for you. What's your favorite aspect of this project? Opposite of Lene, I get to see the end product, see their reactions when they earn their hard work, see it pay off. But I also enjoy the community involvement because we have more than just Poet being involved. We have other businesses and other companies that provide services for this. So we have like Farm and Bureau does a lot for us. Um, Nutrient provides the seeds for plants to grow. So it's just the community involvement, which is a big thing our school really wants us to have in our curriculum is how can we involve the community and how can the community become a part of our classroom? So Poet and this project allows us to have that aspect. That's such a great point. And so often in in my line of work, we talk about how agriculture is so much more than just the farmers and the farmers are an important piece of it. But when less than 2% of our nation's population are actively engaged in production agriculture, but 20% or close to 20% are involved in the industry of agriculture, that quickly tells you that it's not just farmers, that it's all of those support services that provide the seeds and the research and the processing like Poet does that really build that community and that team approach to producing those end products and the food and fiber and fuel that we all utilize. In general, more specific to your classroom experience and why you chose to be teachers, what's the best part of your job? We'll start with you. The best part is just seeing the students become more actively engaged as the year goes on. Because in fifth grade, we do a lot more where we lead them to be ready for middle school. So seeing kids come in from Lene's class, needing my hand a little bit guiding. I know Lene does a lot of hard work to make sure that they are getting ready for fifth grade. But like they need me a little bit. But then as the year goes on, it's watching them become more independent on like their work. So it's really good to see them grow as the year goes on and become more independent. I imagine and those students are growing so much in that that year. I bet it is fun to see. Flip side of that, Will, what is the worst part of your job? Kind of the disrespect on some of my, from some of our students because now we have like a mask mandate in our school district and it's. I kind of struggle with some of our kids to have a mask on. So I get the eye rolls. I get the, really, we have to put that on. So that's probably the my least favorite part of the job. But maybe back to some of those life lessons of uh, why we are wearing masks in this current these current times and uh, the respect for our, our fellow humans and um, life lessons all around. Lene, same questions for you. What's the best and worst parts of your job? The best part of my job is celebrating all the small victories. I love to watch them get excited about the little things and build their self-confidence. And I love to be a part of that because you can just see them glowing from within when they finally get that math problem that they've had to redo three times because I didn't get it right. And then when they finally do, it's so exciting. And it's just a pleasure of mine to be able to watch them do that. I would say the worst part of my job is sometimes the long hours. I'm here after school sometimes prepping and getting stuff ready for quite a while. So that would probably be my least favorite part. 
for most people who have kind of forgotten their own educational experience or maybe never knew to begin with, the teacher's day does not end at 3 p.m. Is that right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> well, Lene, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. This was a lot of fun and I, I learned a lot. So I, I know our listeners will too. Really appreciate the work that you're doing in your classrooms. And it sounds like the students are really benefiting from that multi-year, that back-to-back experience and both planting the corn and then seeing how it's harvested and turned into a a product that uh, is used to power vehicles. So thank you for the work that you're doing and thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Be sure to follow our podcast on Instagram at Outstanding in Their Field Podcast, our website, and our Facebook page. For more information on the Iowa Agriculture Literacy Foundation, visit iowaagliteracy.org. Remember, too, to subscribe to Outstanding in Their Field on your favorite podcast streaming service and learn more in the show notes. For now, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next time when we hear from more folks who are outstanding in their field. Outstanding in their field.